Ah, let's do that again. Good morning. morning. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Welcome to the Oasis. We are glad you are with us. And as Jeff said, we're glad there are those of you joining us from homes and from places all around the world this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 5 through 19 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. This morning, one of the things that we are reminded of is that our God wants us to be in the moment, just like right now. He, he wants us to be just totally engaged with him and dialed into him right now. But as we do that, we must also recognize that our God is always preparing us for what's ahead. He's also a God not only of the moment, but he's a God of preparation. Like great today, he is going to use today to prepare each of us in our own way for what he knows lies ahead in our life. That's exactly what Jesus was doing in this passage of Scripture. Jesus wanted his followers to be in the moment with him, but he wanted them to recognize that what he wanted to share with them was going to prepare them for the reality that lies ahead. And only God knows exactly what lies ahead for each of us, which is why he wants us to listen to him and to follow him at all times. As we begin this morning, in verse 5, Luke tells us that while some were speaking of the temple, and they were obviously captivated by the beauty of the temple. They were talking to one another about how it was adorned with beautiful stones and offerings. That Jesus said, while you are gazing at these things, the days are coming when not one stone will be left upon another, but all will be torn down. Obviously, this caused stuff to well up in those that were listening. First of all, when they looked at the temple, they saw something permanent. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is telling them that the temple of God is not permanent and that maybe the things that they think are permanent really aren't. And that they need to begin to rethink about what's permanent and temporal and, and what's eternal and all of that. So they ask him, well, when will these things be and what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Now, obviously, the answer to this question and, and to this event more centers around the Jewish people at Jesus' time. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this part of the passage. But Jesus does answer their question in verses 20 through 24. You don't have to necessarily look at all of that this morning, but you'll note beginning in verse 20, he does say to them, well, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that it's about to take place. And we know that in 70 A.D., General Titus 
and the Roman army came marching into Jerusalem and literally destroyed it. And exactly what Jesus said would happen, happened. Not one stone was left upon another. It was all torn down. The remnants of some of it is what we now today know as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall that you see on your televisions every once in a while from Jerusalem. But Jesus, again, doesn't just want to prepare the Jewish people for the invasion by the Roman army in 70 AD. He wants to use this opportunity to prepare his people for the beginning of the church, which we know is recorded for us in the book of Acts, and even on down through history, even I think talking to us today about history for his people leading all the way up till his second coming. So notice then what he begins to say in verse 10. And Jesus is going to paint a picture for his people down through the ages that he's going to say, look, this is reality that you're going to have to come to grips with. For no matter when you are alive as my people in history, it's not going to be easy. Are we willing to embrace that reality and accept that? So notice beginning in verse 10, he says, nation will rise up in arms against nation, kingdom against kingdom, he said there will be great earthquakes throughout history. There will be famines. There will be plagues in various places. Another word for plague would be pandemics. He says there will be great terrifying sights. And then he says, oh, and by the way, great signs from heaven in the skies, in space. Interesting, isn't it? Then he says, but before all this, and now I think he's speaking to that group of people who will be alive again to start the church in the book of Acts and beyond. He says, but before all this even, he says, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons and they will bring you before kings and governors because of my name, because you have chosen to hook yourself up with me and follow me and so you are associated with me. And then go down to verse 16. Here's where it really gets hard. He says, you will be even betrayed by parents by brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will even put some of you to death. Jesus is saying to his people, this is the reality of what is coming for my followers. Do you understand this? Are you willing to embrace this as reality? Then in verse 17, he says, oh, and you will be hated by everyone because of me. Jesus earlier on said, do not marvel that the world hates you. It hated me before it hated you. And this word hatred speaks about being pursued 
by hatred. Pursued with hostility. Pursued by opposition. We all know that even in our lifetime, we see a growing antagonism towards Christ and towards the followers of Christ. This is all stuff that God knew was coming for his people. And he's saying, this should not catch you by surprise. This should not be something that, like, startles you. If you are listening to me, you know that these days are coming. Days of hostility towards Christians. And yet, and yet, notice his promise to his people in verse 18. He says, yet not one hair of your head will perish. Now, he's just said some of you are going to die. So we know that Jesus here isn't talking about physical death or suffering physically. We know, and we continue to know, that even today there are Christians who are being martyred for their faith. And there were many Christians in the early days of Christianity that were martyred for their faith. So what's Jesus mean by the fact that not one hair of your head will ever perish? He's saying that nothing of you that is of greatest value or worth will ever suffer eternal or complete loss. In other words, the things that really matter, the real you, you're going to be okay with me. They can take everything from you, including your physical life, but they can't take me from you. And if you have me, you have life eternal. And all that really matters, they can't take from you. The worst thing that the world can do to you is kill your physical body, Jesus is saying. But that's not the real you. That's not the eternal you. That's not the part of you that is of greatest value. And the things that they can take away from you are not of greatest value. So I'm telling you, you will never suffer complete or eternal loss of anything that is worthwhile. He's trying to get his followers to a certain mindset. Because, again, he doesn't mince any words. He doesn't tell his followers ever it's going to be an easy life on earth. I want to go back to verse 17. You will be hated because of me. And yet, in the midst of it all, Jesus says, I'll give you a promise. You follow me and you'll never lose what's really worthwhile. And so, based upon the reality that Jesus paints and that promise in this passage, he's saying, I need you, my people, to be a certain kind of people. I need you to be this for me in the days in which you live. 
on earth. No matter what time in history it is after I leave and go back to heaven. So for the last 2,000 years, everything that Jesus says in this passage, first of all, we know has come to reality. And second of all, these are still the same expectations, the same desires, the same wishes that Jesus has for his people then that he has for you and I today. It's just as relevant. And the first one I want us to see this morning goes back to verse 8, if you'll look there with me. He says, watch out that you are not misled or led astray, that you do not deviate at all from the correct path. The words watch out speak about being a perceptive and discerning people. So Jesus is saying, look, no matter what time in history you, my people, are alive, I need you to be a perceptive and discerning people. Why? Because you are living in an age of deception. And the further we go into history, until I come back the second time, deception and deceivers and all of that are going to become worse and worse and worse. So for us today, we would even say, based upon what Jesus is saying, that it's even more important today, some 2,000 years after Jesus initially said these words, for us as a people to be very perceptive and discerning when it comes to not being led astray and led into error, but staying in the truth of God. I mean, think about all the verses and passages of Scripture of warning to us that are given to us in the Bible. Jesus, in the Gospels, says there will be many false teachers and false prophets that will arise and they will deceive many. He doesn't say few. He says they will deceive many. In the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4, Paul says the Spirit of God expressly says that in the latter days, many will depart the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Paul also goes on to tell Timothy that evil men and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light? And if he is able to do that, then that means that his servants can transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. In other words, on the outside, They look good. And many will follow them because they're not perceptive. They're not discerning. They are being duped by all of these false teachers and false prophets throughout history. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Over and over and over again, we are warned and told in Scripture, don't be duped. 
Don't be deceived. And let me say this. If you are here this morning or you're watching from your homes or wherever you are today and you have come to the conclusion that you can't be deceived, you're already deceived. (laughs) If you think that somehow you are smart enough and wise enough and you've walked with God long enough that you can't be deceived, you're deceived already. There's not a human being alive, there's not a Christian alive that is not capable of being deceived if we don't stay alert and stay on our toes, spiritually speaking. And there have been many followers of Christ that did not heed this warning and did not realize that the days in which we live on earth are a time of great deception. And we see it happening even in our day that many are departing from the faith and giving heed to deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. So Jesus says, be perceptive, be discerning, always stay alert, stay in my word, Be filled with the Spirit and let the Spirit of truth guide you into all things. Second, look at verse 9. He says, and when you hear of wars and rebellions, by the way, the word rebellions means global instability. (laughs) Jesus says, when you hear of wars and global instability, what? Do not be afraid. I need my people not only to be discerning and perceptive, I need my people, no matter when they are alive on earth, to be fearless, to not panic, to not be troubled by the things that's going on in the world, to not be agitated, to not be flustered and fearful, to stay calm and composed in me at all times. Fear is the opposite of faith. When one has truly placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as even Jeff said, if you truly believe he is the Lord and that he is on the throne and that he's in control and you're resting in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you never have to live in fear. But when we are gripped by fear and anxiety and worry, it is the opposite of placing our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus even said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? It seems like there's so little faith today, even amongst those who claim to follow me, because we allow the things that are going on in our own lives and the things that we hear and see on our television sets and what we read and what we see happening in the world, we allow it to get us all upset and full of fear. And Jesus says, I don't care when you are alive on earth. Are there going to be things that could cause you fear? Absolutely. Jesus didn't say, oh, It's not something that you could be afraid of. He's just simply saying, but you got to trust me. So do not be afraid. 
Because he says in verse 9, these things must happen first. And then notice what he says in verse 9. Because the end will not come all at once. Now that's an important statement. Now obviously when Jesus comes back, boom, it happens. Moment, twinkling of an eye, all that. But Jesus is teaching us something very important. That the end times is sort of a process that the world goes through. And it goes from one level of degeneration to another level of degeneration and degradation to another level. It just, it keeps spiraling down and it takes time. I mean, we've been doing this now for 2,000 years and we may be doing it for quite a long time again because, you know, even today, well, I can't get much worse. Oh, yeah, it can. Yeah, it can. Where is it in the Bible that says it has to, you know, be, again, a certain way. Jesus here is painting a picture of, of what it is in reality. But all he is saying to us is, I need my people not only to be perceptive and discerning, I need them to be fearless. Fearless. No matter what happens. Even if the mountains start falling into the sea, Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength. I will not be afraid. The third thing that I want us to see this morning in this passage is verse 19, where then Jesus says, by your endurance you will gain your lives. He needs to see that we are discerning and perceptive, that we are fearless, and that we are a people of perseverance and endurance. That no matter how bad it gets, we hang in there. And we are able to hang in there because we are relying and depending upon the supernatural staying power that God can give his people. God can enable his people to persevere and endure and stay by the stuff no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are. And Jesus saying, I need my people in these times of history where you are hated by everyone for my name's sake, that you endure and that you persevere, that you don't shrink back that you don't cut and run, that you don't throw up your hands and give up and throw in the towel, but that you endure. And Jesus himself is the greatest example of this. The author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 12 when he says, let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set out for us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he even endured the cross. Think of him who endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we grow weary in our souls and give up. If someone was to ask me, what is the single most significant, essential, important ingredient that I have learned I needed in my life in the last 38 years of being a pastor? I would tell them perseverance. You just, you just got to endure and you just got to hang in there and, you know, as we say, roll with the punches. 
That's what all of us have to learn to do in life. To allow God to give us that supernatural staying power to just stay by our post and demand our post no matter what. To hold our position. We need to be a people of endurance and perseverance. And so you can see the progression here. Jesus saying, here's the reality, folks. You'll be hated. You'll be persecuted. You'll be thrown into prison. Some of you might even die. Yet not one hair of your head will perish. So here's what I need you to be because of all that. I need you to be perceptive. I need you to be fearless. I need you to persevere. And here's why I need you to be these things. Verse 13, the culmination of it all. For this is the time for you to serve me as witnesses. That's the key to me of the whole passage. Verse 13 of Luke 21. This is your time, Jesus says, on earth to serve me as witnesses. That no matter how hard or how tough things get on earth, I can't have you shrinking back. I can't have you disengaging from society as many Christians want to do today. I can't have you isolating yourselves. I can't have you desiring to live off the grid because you don't like the way things are going in the world and you want to escape. Jesus says, I need you to do just the opposite. I need you to step into this world of darkness and I need you to be a light. I need you to realize that this time in which you are living, as hard as it may be, is an opportunity for you to testify concerning me, to give evidence to those around you, especially those that do not know me, that I'm sufficient, that I'm enough for you, no matter what conditions there are on the earth or what circumstances you and I are going through personally. Anyone can witness to how great God is and how good God is and how gracious God is when things are going well in our life. But if you and I think about it, the times that we've been able to witness to the reality of our God in greater ways than any other time in our life was when we were suffering, when we were going through pain, when we were going through difficulty. Those were the times where people around us were watching how we were going to respond and how we were going to react. And we had a great opportunity during those times to show people that my God's enough for me and he is sufficient for me no matter what. Jesus says, it's not the time to hide yourself in your shell like a turtle. It's time to step up and step out and be a witness for me. How can we be a witness if we're isolating ourselves? If we're running away? If we're trying to escape how bad things are? Well, folks, how bad do you think 
things were for Christians during the time of Nero when he would feed the Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. I think things were pretty... Have you ever had to, you know, go to a Colosseum and get eaten by a lion? I don't think so. Sometimes I think we think that, well, you know, the days in which we're living, they're worse than they've ever been before for Christians. No, it's always been bad. It's always been bad. And Jesus needs us to step up and be strong. Notice here, Jesus saying, the reality is times are tough, especially for my people. So my people cannot be a weak people. My people have to be a strong people in me because I'm asking you to navigate difficult circumstances in your life, but to be able to rise above those circumstances at all times. And to realize that sometimes when God calls us to suffer and be in pain and have to deal with challenges and obstacles and opposition, those are some of the greatest times and opportunities we have that God entrusts us to be a witness and to testify about his sufficiency concerning him. Let me give you two examples. Jesus, while he was hanging on a cross, after all the suffering that he had already been through, just the way he died, the way he suffered, the things that he said from the cross, the things that he didn't say from the cross, the way he expressed himself, made such an impression on a Roman centurion who had seen probably by that time thousands of people crucified, looked up at Jesus and said, truly, he must be the Son of God. In other words, the way Jesus suffered the way he endured the cross made such an impact and impression on that Roman soldier. He said, that guy's different than anyone else I've ever seen crucified. I've seen thousands of people crucified and they were griping and complaining and saying they were innocent and, and they didn't deserve this and all these things. And that man has said nothing at all except, Father, forgive them. There was something different about the way he did it. And then you think about Stephen in the book of Acts. Here's a young man, probably not out of his 20s, somebody that God is greatly using in the early church. This man's dynamic. He's full of the Spirit. Oh, and he's being stoned to death. And while he's being stoned to death, what he says and the way he says it and the things that he doesn't say makes such an impression on a young man by the name of Saul that the way Stephen died, I think, was that first seed that God planted into Saul's life to bring him to faith. Because we learn right after that that Saul was there present listening to everything, watching everything about how Stephen died. And he never forgot it. 
See, God is saying to us, I'm not saying that your life is going to be easy. I'm not saying that the time you're living in in this world is not going to be full of opposition and challenges and obstacles and all that. But what I am saying is I'm enough for you no matter when it is. And I need you to determine that you're going to realize that this is a great trust that I, God, want to give to you. I'm I'm trusting in you to step up for me and to show people the reality of your faith even during the darkest days of human history and even during your own darkest days personally. Because if I'm not a God who's big enough for you during the toughest times of your life, then I'm not a God who's big enough at all. If I'm not a God who's sufficient enough to be able to take you through the most challenging times of your life, then I'm not a God who's great or big enough at all. And God is saying, I am. And even if I allow your life to be taken from this earth, not a head of your, or a hair of your head will perish. You will just be ushered in to heaven and you will be with me for all of eternity in glory because they cannot take from you what is most precious and that is me. And if you've got me, you got everything you need. You have life eternal. So be discerning. Watch out that you are not misled. Do not be afraid. And by your endurance, you will gain your lives. This is our time, folks. And listen, the time in which you and I were brought to this earth by God is no accident. It's like what Mordecai told Esther. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And each of us could say the same thing. It's no accident that Jeff Royce was born in 1961. God wanted me to be alive during this time in history. And God is saying to all of us, this is a time in history I wanted you to be born. And if I didn't think you could step up and do this for me, I wouldn't have put you here. You got to trust me. And you got to look at the times in which you're living, no matter how difficult they are, not as a time to just shrink back and run away, but as a time to step up and realize God trusts me enough to be alive at a time like this and to deal with the things that I need to deal with in my life to show others how great he is, how good he is, how gracious he is, how sufficient he is, how enough he is. It's time for me to be a witness. And to testify to others concerning him. That's our choice. That's where we are. That's what God is preparing us for. And God is saying, I've told you the way things are going to be. I've shared what reality is with you, 
but I'm telling you, you can handle it with me. You just got to let go and trust me. Will we trust our God? I'm going to ask Nicole and the worship team to come. Listen, as they're coming, this is a message and a passage of Scripture that I, I truly believe we just need to sort of let it settle upon us for a while. I'm not saying that some of us can't make some decisions and choices in our life immediately today. That's very possible. But I think a passage like this is something that we just sort of need to just absorb it for a while. To truly receive out of this passage all that God has for us. And this, is a, this isn't a feel-good passage of Scripture, right? God, again, doesn't pull any punches. He says, yeah, it's going to be tough, but I'm enough for you. And we need to believe that today. So would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer and go right into our time of responding to our God. Father, we pray today that all of us, God, would trust you. That we would have the faith that no matter, Lord, whether we're hearing of wars and kingdoms rising against each other and pandemics and earthquakes and things happening in the natural world and things happening happening politically around the world and even terrifying sights that may be seen by those and great signs from heaven and the persecution and antagonism against your church, God, that we will not be afraid, that we will not live in fear, that we will realize, God, you saw all this coming and that you wanted to prepare your people for these days in which we live. And instead of us, God, shrinking back and running away and isolating ourselves, you're asking us to step up and to serve you as faithful witnesses in the days in which we live. To be a people of perception and perseverance, to rise to the occasion. God, I, I don't know about the rest of the folks here this morning, but I've always believed that when, when you put belief in someone, when you put expectation upon someone, that many times they rise to the level of the expectation and the belief. And God, when we think about the fact that you, the great God of the universe, that you truly believe in who we could be through you, that you have great expectations for your people. God, I pray that we won't be a disappointment, but that, God, we'll rise to the expectations that you have for us, that we'll realize, God, how much you believe in us and what we could be through you, and that we will live up to those, God. Because you would never say the things that you have said and shared the desires you have for your people if it were not possible. And we have seen, God, 
down through history, many Christians who even if it meant that they were martyred for their faith, God, how they were faithful to you all the way up through the very end of their physical life on earth. God, may we be that faithful. May we be found that faithful, God, in our day and age. May we surrender all that we are and all that we have to you and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.